Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Political Profundity with John Guzan and Karen Weil. Hello, Karen. Hi there. Today in Political Profundity, hopefully we're going to get very uh, intelligent on on impeachment, um, on the Roger Stone verdict, on the Democratic presidential race, and another state race, which happens to be down south. And we're going to be talking finally about the school shooting. Um, Karen, we've been following uh, the political machinations in Washington, D.C. ever since we started the Political Profundity podcast, what, two years ago, I guess now? Um, And here they are with public hearings for impeachment. Um, Taylor and Kent, two State Department envoys, testified earlier this week. Uh, Former ambassador to Ukraine, uh, Masha Yovanovitch, testified um, later in the week. Um, it, it does seem like there is more there than, than they're there than people were saying there was going to be before. It does seem like Republicans are backpedaling, although, um, they, everyone thought they're just going to keep denying, denying, denying. Um, it does seem like there's been a movement, um, in, 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 in public opinion, just in the way that things are going. Um, Democrats, at least, you know, for some reason, um, you know, they're, they, they look like they're feeling confident things are going their way. There's nothing really evidence wise being refuted by the Republicans. Um, do you see it that way too, that, that, that so far this has been a successful, um, uh, first week of public hearings? Overall, yes. I, I saw a story from yesterday, and I, you know, it's not counting how many people might have been watching Ms. Yovanovitch's testimony today, but reportedly around, and, and compared to the overall Amer- population of the United States, it may not seem like a lot, but roughly 13 million people were watching or listening to the the testimony by Kent and Taylor, mm-hmm. I'd say about 13 million, I said, right, across right. both all platforms. And that would include, of course, watching cable news or one of the main networks or, you know, pod- podcast or YouTube or what, what have you. Right. Um, and, and so it's interesting because there was a, and I thought a very bad take by NBC News that those hearings lacked pizzazz. And I just, I find that incredibly offensive because this is not meant to be entertainment. I mean, we're talking about some extraordinarily bad charges against Donald Trump. And this is not supposed to be, you know, a reality show or there to amuse people. We're talking about whether the man who's president, technically, you know, certainly Donald Trump is unfit on every other level you could think of. Um, you know, and accusations that basically he demanded Ukraine start a, a an investigation of Joe Biden to to get military aid, and he did this one day after, you know, Robert Mueller testified about how much the Russians interfered in the 2016 election to help Trump. Right. Um, and that landed, you know, supposedly like a lead balloon, and so Trump, I guess just thought he could do this the next day. 
I thought some of the more interesting highlights that came out of the testimony by Kenton Taylor was Taylor testifying uh, that the, the horror withholding aid to Ukraine was, you know, that it sends a signal to Russia, which is currently at war uh, with Ukraine, specifically in the eastern part of that country, uh, about U.S. support, in other words, weakening it. Uh, and Taylor had said he was not aware of any other president conditioning foreign aid based on his personal or political interests. And honestly, John, racking my brain, and, you know, we can talk all we want about past presidents and some of their foreign policy uh, misdeeds, but I, that just, that's a new one in, in terms of a, a president basically saying, I want you to investigate a, a political rival. Right. And, and, you know, if you're going to get anything from us. Um, Another thing that I found interesting, Taylor, when he was asked about whether Trump wanted the Ukrainian president, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, I think I got that name right, <laughs> forgive me if I didn't, if he wanted Zelensky in a quote-unquote public box, uh, Taylor had said that through Ambassador Gordon Sunland, Trump was asking for Zelensky to very publicly comment on the investigations, and it wasn't sufficient enough to do it in private. And, I, you know, to me, that was, was pretty interesting. You, you know, Kit was also asked, and these are coming questions coming from Democratic Congress people who were part of this committee about allegations that Ukraine interfered in the 2016 election and, and Joe Biden acted improperly while pushing Ukraine to fire a corrupt prosecutor. Can't testify. There's, quote, unquote, no factual basis for either one of those allegations. I mean, let that settle for a moment. Um, and he said, you know, I think it's amply clear that Russian interference, you know, was at the heart of the interference. And, I mean, there are quite a few other highlights that came out of that testimony. Um, and another one I thought was interesting that Ken said he didn't believe that Rudy Giuliani, who's not part of the Trump administration, I guess he's Trump's attorney for now, uh, he didn't believe that Giuliani was protecting U.S. interests, you know, in regard to his activities in Ukraine and basically was there to dig up political dirt. Now, again, I'm trying to think, John, of another president who had an attorney, not technically in his administration, doing something like that. Mm -hmm. And I, I just for the life of me, I can't think of somebody else to get. Yeah, you know, so I mean, I, you know, I, the first thing that comes ahead, to sorry. my mind, well, the, just the first thing that comes to my mind and always has when 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 they kind of mention that is at least and you know, it didn't happen when Reagan was president, but it's that rumor of what happened in 1980 where uh, they made a secret deal to keep the hostages. Um, you know, that's the first thing that 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 pops into my mind, although again, not president at the time. Um and again, it was rumor only. Um uh, you know, I you know, two of the very interesting takeaways that I had from at least um, uh, Bill Taylor and George Kent's testimony was um, the allegation of of Sondland talking to Trump on the cell phone at the restaurant. Um, and, right. and now there's um, another gentleman that's testifying today who that aide was, um, behind, you know, behind closed door uh in the skiff in the uh, basement of the Congress, he's doing that, I guess, maybe as we're on this podcast right now. Um, you know, and I thought that that was, it's, it's, it's taken on a life of its own, I think, because it clearly um, identifies that what Trump was really concerned about was Biden, not corruption. It takes away that whole argument 
that uh, GOP has. Um, you know, the other real interesting bit that I saw was um, or that, you know, really impacted me um, was Republican counsel Steve Castor um, when he asked uh, Taylor, um, this was irregular, but, it, you know, it, it, it could have been more irregular. And, and Taylor kind of like smiled and laughed, just like, yeah, it, you know, yeah, it could have been worse. Like, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, thousand pound turkey could have been 10,000 pounds. Right. I mean, that was the, you know, <laughs> the basic, uh, you know, essence of his answer there. Um, and so I don't know, it, 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 you know, my take is that that it is it is kind of moving the needle. Um, you know, for some of these instances, there's just no way to back it up besides just saying, well, it's not impeachable. And we talked about that on this podcast a few times ago. And that's where it seems like the Republican argument has been, um, you know, so I don't think it's so much uh, as the Democrats performing well. Uh, I think the Republicans are kind of shirking their responsibility a little bit and it's kind of shining through. Um, just kind of blaming Schiff and, and, you know, saying it's a star chamber railroad kind of deal. Um, you know, that's going to be played out, I think, over time. But, you know, those are my big takeaways from Elise Taylor and Kent. Um, you know, uh, Jovanovic today was, um, you know, more of that, uh, I guess, the heartfelt feel to the whole thing or understanding somebody who was there identifying, hey, the, we had – an ambassador that was always concerned in fighting corruption and that's the one you wanted to remove um kind of makes no sense so you know i I think all of it was impactful and i know a little bit later we're going to be talking about at least what um the official account of why Ivanovich uh left um ukraine in may uh, really was for a while, and now we're try- you know finally hearing that it probably had a lot to do with um, uh, the Biden investigation. But you know it does seem like it's moved the needle. Um, did you know what about um, Yovanovitch's testimony really stood out to you? Well, in, in general, she and and for the record, just another thing I want to say. I I, I mean I, I just the Republicans handling this right now. Honestly, and I, I, you know, I know it may just seem a knee-jerk response here, but they are really doing such a bad job, and that includes Castor. I, I honestly would have thought if anybody had any sense in that party, they would find better people than Jim Jordan or or Mark, or Mark Meadows or Mike Turner of Ohio, who at one point you know, sort of basically told Ivanovich, you know, you're done, and, and basically told her to shut up, more or less. Uh, he's a big Trump defender, so not a surprise. But I, I, I'm honestly kind of shocked that they really do not, they just don't seem to understand the gravity of this at all. Um, and they kept interrupting and, you know, went on these sort of tirades. I, I don't even want to go through it again. Uh, where you know very little that was substantiated to to sort of counter what she was saying, and I think she came off as as very sober and and level headed and I I think honest you know I you're seeing all over social media I think you're starting to see the kind of dare I say sort of lionization of her which she probably wouldn't appreciate is you know. <laughs> But and, and 
I, I think we have to be careful with that. But I'm not talking about her credibility because, you know, that's that's not in doubt here. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think it was another day where a lot of damage was done to Trump. Um, and and frankly, he had nobody whatsoever on his team, so to speak, be able to be a successful counterweight to it. Uh, mm-hmm. We're not talking about the Iran-Contra hearings from 1987 when you had, frankly, a much stronger panel of Republicans handling that back then. And you had a much better attorney for, you know, I, I know there's not really an attorney for anybody testifying for Trump because the Trump administration won't let anybody testify. Right. Uh, I thought it was right. very interesting. Yet, you know, yet yesterday, I, not to move away from the Ivanovich hearings too much, but there was one moment where Jim Jordan was complaining about what a, you know, a complete railroading operation this was and how unfair this was to Trump. And Representative Welch said, you know, Donald Trump is welcome right. to come yeah. here uh-huh. anytime he wants, sit down and answer questions. Yeah. And everybody laughed at that because he's, you know, as Representative Welch said, he's the reason we're doing this. Right. <laughs> I, and, and, you know, it was a, a nice little clapback, so to speak, to, to to Jim Jordan, who, as we all know, has his own, you know, kind of uncomfortable history with uh, Ohio State University and uh, and his time as an assistant coach on a wrestling team. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, but, you know, she, she basically made it clear in her testimony overall that Trump sort of put his personal interests above the United States. And that's... That's pretty obvious from everything we've learned here. And again, John, if somebody wants to point out to me a solid defense here that Trump's team has produced to knock knock back a lot of this testimony, you know, I'd like to see it or I'd like to hear it because none of that has been evident the last two days. Uh, and again, because the Trump administration won't let any of the major players come, and if, you know, if they have information that would clear things up uh, to come testify, you know, th- that might be helpful to Trump. But they don't, you know, for some reason, his team just doesn't seem all that interested in doing that. Uh, they've just got very weak arguments right now, basically that you know he can fire ambassadors at will. Well, of course, but that's not really what's at the heart of this. Yeah, you know, and, uh, and then he's I, somehow immune from all of this. Well, you know what? I think two other presidents, Bill Clinton and Richard Nixon, might want to disagree with that. One of them got impeached in our lifetimes. Um, so it's again, I I guess I shouldn't be surprised at how shoddy the Trump's war room, quote unquote, has been here, given that Trump himself simply is not—he's not up to the standards of this job, and he he lacks the. He lacks the impulse control, among other things. You saw today, another thing I want to bring up. He was basically more or less in a tweet threatening, uh, you know, Yovanovitch during her testimony. Yeah. I, again, I can't remember. I could never picture George W. Bush doing something like that. And, you know, we've talked about him a lot and what a tragedy his presidency was. I couldn't picture Ronald Reagan doing something like this. Also a president who... Sadly, you know, we learned later had his own issues, and I, but and, and Bill Clinton never even, you know, did anything this tacky when he was in trouble. 
I, it's just, again, it's, it's just, this is another very painful reminder of who Donald Trump is. And it is, you know, it's not a pretty picture. And yeah. again, I, I think, you know, he made no dent in Yovanovitch other than just, you know, snarling at her, which doesn't help him when it comes down to when the evidence is finally in and articles of impeachment are filed. Yeah. Well, it, it, it does seem like it's a very difficult road when your defense is not going to be that we didn't really do what you're saying. It's that, yes, we did what you're saying, but it was for intentions that you aren't getting. Um, so, yeah, it was just about corruption and Biden should be investigated anyway, and I should have every legal right to do it. Um, it doesn't go to the other arguments of, you know, you're, you're basically um, might lose the money. Um, because again, if it wasn't spent by September, by the end of the month, um, if they didn't give it to Ukraine or give them that aid, it would have gone away. Have, would have had to have been passed again. Um, you know, all the changes and and what Trump has done in order to allow um, you know Putin to get an even greater upper hand um, in Ukraine and in Syria. Um, all should be noted that these are all interrelated things, um, and. You know, we have on there that, you know, you know, we were going to discuss about how everyone in Washington knew what was up with Trump in Ukraine. I mean, there was discussions and, and news reports on the periphery of the national conversation um, since that, you know, April, May. Um, and this has been a story that has been bubbling. And, right. you know, you know, part of the argument um, that Republicans make is that, you know, obviously that the whistleblower came to shift into the intelligence committee, which is you know, being a whistleblower in the intelligence community. That's usually what they do. That's the road they go down. They, they tell Congress ahead of time because Congress as part of the fallback and the whistleblower um, protections is that eventually they're going to have to see what goes on. So it doesn't even, you don't have to worry about any sort of corruption or nefarious actions going on with the inspector general, right? Or whomever you're blowing the whistle on. So that's the fail safe is that you tell Congress, um, you know, what that coordination was, you know, it's kind of, you know, you know, pointless. You're basically calling out the system because you got told on. And and that's really what's going on, I think, with Trump. Um, uh, you know, but the fact that everything was kind of out in the open, there were, again, stuff in the periphery about what was going on with Ukraine and no one would say anything. Um, but a lot of these folks in Washington knew what was going on uh, from Lindsey Graham and, and everyone else. Them, for them to say that, Ukraine had no idea that it was even being held up at that time, maybe in July. Maybe they didn't really understand that they weren't going to give it to them unless they actually gave them the other thing at that moment. But everyone knew, you know, pretty soon after that, through August and September, that was probably the biggest underground rumor mill in Washington, D.C., was what was going on with Trump and Ukraine. I mean, this is kind of the worst um, secret in the world. Um, and you know, people didn't know about it, but that's why we're here. I, I mean, I find that interesting, and I find that to be that, you know, they were worried about what was going on with Jovanovich, you know, immediately. Um, you know, how do you feel about, you know, the fact that, that, that even Republicans are crying foul over the whole process when they basically watched it and, and allowed it to happen from, you know, for months? Well, several things. Uh, several things. One thing I also want to mention about Marie Ivanovich, Trump has never offered any formal reason for firing her. 
just apparently in one of his tweets, you know, poorly written sentence, everywhere Marie Ivanovich went turned bad. I mean, what the hell does that even mean? But okay. Um, I, I just think, number one, for Republicans to be mad at at the House majority for how these hearings are being conducted under the rules, those are rules they passed in 2015, you know, in terms of how these types of hearings would be conducted. So it's really amusing for them to be crying foul about the set, you know, of rules they wanted. Uh-huh. You know, they just they just don't like, frankly, that Trump is being held accountable right now, or at least it's being fully investigated, which, you know, that's too bad. OK, there's a lot of evidence here, you know, that shows, number one, he obstructed justice. And I'm talking about the Russian investigation, but clearly his actions with Ukraine over the last year or so you know, have not been kosher. So I. Again, I just, you know, you watched her, you watched George Kent and Mr. Taylor. By the way, the two men volunteered to work for Trump. They went to work with him. So you, they can't be called never Trumpers. These are guys who seem to be just fine with going to work, uh, you know, for Donald Trump. For whomever um, might be president. But I, I, I think in general, like I said, these just last few days have been They've just been extraordinarily bad for Trump and all of his defenders in Congress who claim, you know, and I, I think to make the claim, well, if he did do this, so what? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's that's not good enough when it comes to the chief executive of the United States government, nor our rule of law. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's just that's not, you, you know, that's just not a solid defense. That's that's something your 10 year old would say to you. I get it. So what? No, there are consequences for one's actions. Um, and, you, you know, you certainly make a good point about what was known in, in the Beltway uh, for some time regarding, you know, the Trump administration and and Ukraine and, you know, the role that, that Russia has played in this as well. I, I, you know, the Ukraine situation it has been problematic for a long time, and there, there aren't any easy answers to it because, quite simply, you have Russia wanting to take it over, more or less, or at least the Crimea and, you know, the United States can only go so far in the kind of actions it can take against Russia without them becoming military related. And we all know how dangerous that can get. Um, certainly the Obama administration, I think, to some degree found itself, you know, puzzled and, and you know, cornered in terms of how it was going to respond. And one would say not always, you know, it wasn't always successful. Um but I, I just, if anything, I, I think, frankly, what, what Trump has done, you know, and those trying to carry out his bidding in terms of Ukraine, and that includes Sondland, has made, you know, this diplomatic situation far worse than it already was. You know, it, it might be giving Putin temporarily what he wants, but in the long run, uh, you know, that's not really good for much of anybody. Believe it or not, dare I even say it, probably Russia. So I, you know, again, I I think these last few days they've just been a, a very powerful, uh, you know, summary of you know Trump's actions. Yeah, it it it, it has definitely shown a light on what's gone on there, and we know that it's still tied to Putin. And you know, I think um, 
it's it is somewhat prophetic i think um you know we talk about nancy pelosi and her ability to connect and understand things and know what's going on and say things precisely when she thinks it should be said although she doesn't always have the you know the 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 perfect uh, track record because no one does um you know talking about it all roads leading to putin talking about bribery i think all these things make sense when we're talking about this um, you know, and I agree, there's been definitely some motions and movement made um, towards actually, you know, revealing what's going on here. And, and I think we're still down the line of, um, you know, that there might be some Republican defections in the Senate. I think it's pretty clear with the testimony and how things have gone right now. There's no way that there's not an impeachment that gets sent to the Senate um, at some point um, within the next two months, three months. Um, so, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's probably inevitable at this point. Um, in related news, um, I guess to Donald Trump at least, Roger Stone found guilty. I'll, I'll, I'm mm-hmm. just going to give you the floor with that. <laughs> well, to, a, a few hours ago, uh, at his trial in Washington, the jurors reached a verdict, uh, and he was found guilty on all charges. Um, and I'm, I'm not, you know, I, like so much has already happened today, John. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's even hard to remember exactly what this guy was in trouble for, but he's found guilty yeah. of multiple charges, including lying to Congress, witness tampering, obstructing an investigation. And all of this is related to his role in Russian interference in the 2016 election. Um, and, and, you know, Stone, if anybody who's followed his career is, Long had a career, you know, long had a record of being, uh, I, I mean, there's a term that's used for it. It's called rat effing, um, you know, just dirty tricks in campaigns. I don't think this guy has ever really been, unless I'm wrong and you want to correct me, I don't think he's ever been really a legitimate campaign advisor. Um, he's just, you know, had a long history in the dark arts, so to speak, you know, for for campaigns and specifically with Trump's. He was right there with Trump when he started, you know, announced his candidacy in 2015. Yeah, long long Um, before that, too. They've been, you know, I think he's been encouraging him to run for president for a couple decades. Yes, for several decades. And of course, as we anybody who knows anything about Roger Stone, he has a tattoo of Richard Nixon on his back, um, has a very, uh, shall we say, unusual personal life. Uh, including, I guess, swinging right. and, and other and uh, other fun little activities. Again, I you know <laughs> Karen, that's one you, thing, but Karen, I, I think it's just, just re- a, an interesting. You know, this this is a strange guy <laughs> for various reasons. Yeah, he and has he the. Was indicted. Uh, doesn't he have the tattoo of, of of Nixon on his back too? Right? Isn't that? Yes, that's that's yeah. I said that. I mean, it, oh, you okay. know, this is. I in fact, there was a, a picture in Newsweek. He actually worked. This is ancient, ancient history now. He worked with the Bob Dole campaign in the 90s when Dole was the 1996 candidate for president. Yeah, that was his last legit gig, right? So I I guess now that I've said all that, that triggered a memory for me, and he was let go. I, I, again, it's so long now ago. It was something to do with just, again, his personal life. And there was a picture of him. I'm not making this up, everybody although it's kind of hard to find online now, of him sitting next to, I believe, the woman who's his wife now, I, I don't know her name, in like a, you know, full-on leather outfit. It was, uh, you know, not, nothing you'd wear to a normal cocktail party. That's all I can say. 
And it, it was a pretty shocking image. Um, I think maybe for, you know, that might have been the first time a lot of people, unless they were really in, involved in the world of Republican politics or maybe politics in general, had even heard of Roger Stone. But, you know, his troubles really started in January when he was indicted as part of Robert Mueller's investigation. Um, and, and during, you know, since that time, you know, he, he threatened the judge overseeing the case, more or less, on social media. And, and just isn't especially obnoxious. He's like Trump. He just enjoys trolling people for the sake of trolling without ever thinking about how harmful or embarrassing or just wrong and, and counterproductive it is. So needless to say, I don't think there's I don't think there's a lot of real tears over his guilty verdict today. Reportedly, he faces up to about 50 years in prison. I doubt, John, that he'll serve anywhere near that. But for a man who's in his 70s, yeah, you know, that's that's a pretty yeah, you know, that's got to be a pretty big come down. Um, and and so uh, it's it's just it just goes to show we still have a justice system. Uh, and and I, I don't think the fact that Stone had attorneys, one of whom was also making a lot of very crazy allegations, uh, you know, I don't think that helped him much either. And certainly the way he conducted himself didn't, even though that has nothing to do with the facts of the case. But clearly in terms of a public perception of him, you know, again, not not helpful. So he's he's found guilty today on, uh, you know, quite a few counts and is now facing prison time. Um, yeah. Um, how the mighty, how the mighty have fallen, yeah, as so, they like to say. You're right. So I guess in February we'll find out exactly um, what yeah. he gets sentenced to. Um, but you know the you know for anybody who wants the you know the quick rundown of the Roger Stone um, you know history, um, got on was like a a, a small time staffer for for Nixon um, in seventy two um, in seventy seven. At 24, uh, him and Manafort um, rig it so that he becomes the president of the Young Republicans. Um, so, 1977, president of the Young Republicans, Roger Stone, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, and this, I mean he's entertaining next? for sure. I, I, I've not watched the okay. documentary Get so, Me Roger Stone. I heard the, quick... the director interviewed. Oh, I just, I just, I'm sorry. I just want to say one other thing. The director of that documentary said, you know, Stone could be very charming and entertaining, but you never forget the, you know, the destructive role that this man has played in our national political scene for a long time. So, again, I think we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, schadenfreude over over this uh, conviction today. And, you know, we'll just see how long he goes to prison for or if, if maybe, you know, he, he doesn't have to do any time. I, I you know, I don't think he has any criminal record otherwise, so that may come into play as well. But so he know, learns. Quite, you know, between that and the testimony we've we've heard in Congress today, a quite an extraordinary day in our nation. Mm. Uh, so he moves to uh, trying to work for other folks, um, gets outed as a dirty trickster, um, has to kind of start over again. Him and Manafort join together. Eighty Reagan, uh, Jack Kemp, uh, George H. W. Bush, always behind the scenes as the dirty trickster. Um, 1990s, right. um, you know, in early 90s, Stone and Manafort sell their business and they kind of go out. He starts hanging out with Trump, Pataki. Um, he was the campaign manager of Trump's 2000 campaign of the Reform Party. Um, uh, 
just, you know, then he kind of gets lost for a little bit, comes back, but he's still the guy that's playing dirty tricks. We could forward, fast forward all the way to 2019, and he's going to go to jail. Um, I guess a lifetime of dirty tricks, eventually you will get nabbed. Um, he'll be Dick Morris at some point, which I see as a, you know, a huge parallel, um, you know, between the two. Um, you know, yeah. um, you know, one that was from the left and one that was from the right, the dirty trickster stays behind the scenes and eventually people want to nab you with whatever they could. And, uh, you know, Dick Morris, the same thing, prostitutes, um, I'm sure, um, you know, if anybody really wanted to go after Roger Stone at that time, they could, but probably not enough to be there. Just a very interesting, like you said, another day that he becomes, he's guilty. Uh, right. And, and to quote from one of Stone's tweets when he was on Twitter, he's been he was kicked off it several years ago, and of course, this you know he tweeted something when the whole WikiLeaks uh, when WikiLeaks released a bunch of information about Hillary Clinton's emails. Stone had sort of cryptically written earlier, "It's Roger Podesta's," and he's somebody who was associated with the Clintons. It's Roger Podesta's time in the barrel. Right. Well, I think it's fair to say now it's Roger Stone's time in the barrel. Or in the shower, whatever. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, well, uh, you know, it's it, it's 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 the old um, joke, right, about prison. Don't drop the soap. Um, Roger, <laughs> unless, unless he wants to try some of that, too. If his trisexual um, nature leads him into shower, prison I, sex, I guess I, he's... I mean, again, he's just he's a very unpleasant person, and you... It's it's you can't really feel sorry for him. He brought this on himself. Yeah. That's you know what more can you say about it? And okay. uh, on to the sentencing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I guess uh, the longer it takes for him, the faster um, for uh, for you know for us or for the American public probably is the best. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. so let's go to um, there's all these folks. We're talking about some of the baggage that Trump will be carrying. I guess another one of his advisors is now going to jail. Um, the Democrats are still trying to find their presidential nominee. Um, and this week there saw, you know, there wasn't anything going on except for, it seems like, um, in the past seven days, there's been two bigger names, I guess, dropped right in the middle of it. And as usual, you can't really look at Republican reaction for what uh, on its face. It's like, it seems like everything's spun even before it starts. Um, the National Review um, came out immediately with an article that 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 pointed out all the baggage that uh, Bloomberg and Patrick had. They didn't say anything about what they do. Just, um, you know, one guy's a hypocrite and the other guy is even more of a hypocrite. Um, that's what they're yeah, coming out with, it seems like, um, because really, I think the truth is they don't want a moderate candidate. Um, they know that they probably, you know, m- might have if they get the socialist argument revving out there for Elizabeth Warren or, or Bernie Sanders, um, then, then you know, they have some hay to make. If there's a moderate candidate, especially like, uh, you know, I mean, why they, they, they're scared of Biden so much. Um, but if there's at least, you know, two others that are there, I don't know how much mainstream really Bloomberg and Patrick are, but at least they're interpreted that way just because they don't support Medicare for all, which is what we talked about last time, why it's such an important uh, element. Um, you know, how are you seeing um, what what's going on, and, and what's the reaction of the Democrats on top of that? Well, I mean, we've we've discussed this quite a bit, you know, in the last year and a half, especially when you started seeing all these Democratic hopefuls sign up, and we've already seen how many now 
leave the race with Beto O'Rourke being, you know, one of the more recent major departures. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I just, I, you honestly can't really see who's clamoring for Michael Bloomberg, honestly, to run for president. I, it's just, you know, and there is a fear among Democrats that if it is, which if he, if he decides to run as an independent candidate, he could very well end up hurting whoever the Democrat is challenging Trump, if it is still Trump, uh, or Mike Pence, or whomever it might be. Most likely it is going to be Trump, albeit an impeached and even more damaged person uh, than you know the one we're already seeing. Um, but, you know, there are clearly things in Bloomberg's past that I, you know, I think would make him, uh, you know, a target. Uh, in, including some past comments he's made, reportedly one about women, if they want to be appreciated for they, their brains, they go to the library instead of Bloomingdale's. I mean, that is, you know, pretty <laughs> offensive. Um, and, and uh, you know, he's known as, as a very hard charging and not a pleasant person to be around, although I would find it very ironic that any Trump supporter would be calling him out for crude behavior towards women. That's That's rather amusing to me. Um, I know his tenure in New York is still looked at, you know, with a lot of mixed views uh, by people, including sort of his crackdown on things or, you know, from marijuana to, you know, soda consumption, uh, among other things. Um, I, I just, you know, again, it is one of these people where you, you just, your first question is why? Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I, he's certainly not going to get, many Trump supporter voters, that's for sure. They're, you know, he's not going to take votes away from Trump. Uh, and I, and honestly, some of the conventional wisdom aside regarding the kind of threat he may pose to, to, to the Democrats, I'm not even sure how many Democrats he would peel away either. He might just be like a Jill Stein candidate, although she ended up doing far more damage to Hillary Clinton than, you know, previously yeah, the believed. Russian trolls will all support um, the third party candidate. Right. You yeah, know, and just a third-party candidate. Uh, you know that we, of course, we always have the most famous example of one who can really make a difference, and that, of course, is Ross Perot, who definitely ended up hurting George H. W. Bush, and you know, which paved the way for Bill Clinton to win certain states that he probably would not have otherwise, mm-hmm. and you know, go on to become president. Uh, the other person who's running is the former Massachusetts governor, Deval Patrick. Uh, there's some controversy about him. Um, that he reportedly allowed a somebody who had a very serious charge of spousal rape case uh, involving this involves Deval Patrick's sister. Uh, controversy followed the case during Patrick's run because he fired the head of the sex offender registry board, who San, Sandra Edwards. I'm sorry because she accused Patrick of retaliating against her efforts. Uh, to get this particular person named Bernard Sy to register as a sex offender. Um, Patrick has always claimed that Edwards sought to influence the case inappropriately. Uh, you know, that, you know, there may be other facts to that that we don't know right now, but, yeah, that automatically could raise some red flags. Uh, although, again, it's... Anybody who's going to defend, you know, support Trump, I'm not sure they can accuse any other candidate of wrongdoing. But, OK, this could still be a big problem for Democratic voters. So I 
And again, and Deval Patrick is African American, and there's no question he he had. I mean, that aside, I think it's fair to say was he was considered to be a pretty successful governor of Massachusetts. Of Massachusetts. So, but again, I just I think for a lot of Democratic voters, he's just not really on the radar. And you, again, I don't think you see somebody who's got the ability, unlike say Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warden or, uh, you know, uh, th- those being the main two, but or perhaps even Andrew Yang, uh, you know, to come in there and, and start really, you know, interrupting, you know, poll standings with, of course, former Vice President Biden still being in the lead, uh, despite the, the frenzy of news concerning, you know, Trump and Ukraine and Hunter Biden, et cetera. So I, I, I don't know, John, I don't know about you. With me, I just look at these two guys and I, I kind of scratch my head and think, why? Yeah, I just, I, I don't see either one of them really being able to make that major of an impact and end up being the nominee next year. I agree with you. Um, you know, it, it does seem like, though, there was a soft, moderate middle. Um, and, um, you know, there had to be, I think, more moderate candidates in there. I think um, it's just good for, I think, the debate. Um, and maybe that's why they're in it. Um, I hope no one runs a third-party candidate unless you have uh, someone from the right trying to, you know, tack Trump. Um, uh, but, you know, I don't know whether that's going to be possible. I don't even know if there's a candidate out there. Yeah. that There's none that comes to yeah. mind. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You mentioned from the right. You know, one of the Republicans running, uh, the former governor of South Carolina, whose name at the moment? Mark Sanford. Thank you. He just dropped out. I mean, he ran for what, five minutes? (laughs) Picked up no steam, probably got very few donors, and just he's already out. So now it's Joe Walsh. And William Wells, uh, Joe Walsh being a Tea Party type Republican, William Will being a very liberal Republican, also, you know, from Massachusetts. Um, and, I, you know, right now they're not really making much of a dent either. Um, I, I would argue with you, John, you know, the Democrats already have the moderate, and that's Joe Biden. Uh, so I, I think for most Democratic voters right now, that's who they're looking at uh, to be the one who can win the nomination and handily beat Donald Trump. Uh, next year. So I, you know, it remains to be seen. I, I could be proven wrong. Deval Patrick might very well become, you know, a bigger name and start, you know, picking up a lot of steam along the way and even winning Iowa or New Hampshire. I mean, that might be a possibility for him given Massachusetts as a neighbor. So, uh, but I, uh, you know, for me right now, kind of the the way I'm seeing it are, is we've got our three or four main candidates vying for the Democratic nomination. And I, I think it's going to be hard for anyone now to jump in to the race and and get in the way of that. Yeah, It's not impossible, but I, I think it's going to be difficult. Okay, real quick before we move on to our last topic, um, just just to mention that Louisiana is also uh, has a governor's race um, here real soon. Um, uh, another bellwether, do we think, or you know, because it, obviously Louisiana is a kind of a different animal than most. Even the Democrats there are kind of uh, purple by themselves. Um, you know, uh, uh, John Bell Edwards uh, is you know pro life. 
Um, you know, there's there's you know some different uh, dynamics there. Do we see it as being anything that's going to be interesting um, as far as being a, an indicator of what might happen come spring, fall, twenty twenty? Well, I I mean, we just saw an upset in Kentucky where Andy Bashir beat Matt Bevin, uh, you know, Bashir being the Democrat. Um, and you, you saw the Democrats have a pretty good night in, you know, Virginia and a few other states, although not Mississippi or otherwise not Kentucky. Uh, I think right now polls show in Louisiana it's a very tight race with Edwards just uh, like a percentage or two ahead yeah. of, of, I'm sorry, Eddie Respone or Respone. I don't know how you pronounce that name. I think Trump just went down to Louisiana yesterday, right, to campaign for uh, Respondi because yeah. they're going to have what they call their jungle primary, which is tomorrow. Yeah, the jungle uh, primary was October twelfth. You, you, know, you have the top. The jungle primary. I'm sorry. The jungle primary is October twelfth, and now I'm sorry. And I, now these two are it, it, battling it out. You know, people vote tomorrow. I, I, you know, turnout is the magic word here. I think if it's high enough, I think Edwards will, you know, squeak through and win it. Um, but, uh, you know, it could very well be Louisiana as a Republican governor again. Um, I, you know, Edwards was running in 2015 against David Vitter, the disgraced former U.S. senator from Louisiana who was caught in the 2007 prostitution scandal in D.C. And, you know, and generally, I mean, again, it was somebody who was so disliked, I think, that, yes, a Democrat could come into a very red state and win it. Um Respond apparently has no experience whatsoever in government. Who does that sound like, I wonder? Um, Trump and Zelensky. And I, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I just think, again, if you get a high enough turnout there and, uh, you know, if African-American turnout is high enough, too, that could very well help Edwards, uh, you know, as well. But I, I think it's going to be either way extraordinarily close. I really do. Um and I, you know, it, we'll see, you know, just see who prevails. I, you know, Edwards is a very conservative Democrat. I mean, I, I don't think he's particularly popular with progressives there. Uh, and, you know, we'll see if, if some of the things he's done will help him win over a few voters who may not necessarily want to give, you know, the GOP control of that state again, even though they may share some of their beliefs. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I, you know, don't, I, I, I I don't think uh, Louisiana is a bellwether uh, either. I, you know, I, no. I, I don't. I don't really think what happens there um, this weekend is going to be indicative of what's going to happen in the future. But um, I agree at, with you. But at the same time, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see um, because of the you know, impeachment if there is a swing, and I would think that that swing would go the other way um, for Edwards. Um, and so, you know, I would. I would say that, you know, regardless of what these polls are showing, what's happened in the last few days might be indicative of energy amongst the Republican base. As you mentioned, it's all about turnout. Obviously, you get more votes, you get more votes. And in a place like Louisiana, it really um, is, you know, the emotions of the moment. And um, if, if there is a swing, if, if, if Edwards ends up winning by three or four um, percent, you'd have to say that, 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 that it might be impeachment related. Right. No, you, you. Those are some excellent observations, John. I, I, I you know, there's, I, there's, a, there's no question that Trump is still very popular in Louisiana, but we've seen in in certain, even certain swing states now, there's a pretty strong support for impeachment, 
and or at least you know having this process go through, which two years ago nobody would have even thought that possible. So it, it could be that there are more Louisiana voters who've just decided, you know, I'm sick of this guy. He has not kept his promises. I'm I'm going to vote for Edwards as a protest, even though I may not love everything he does. You know, it's funny. Twenty twenty seven years ago, now actually twenty eight, there was a very controversial governor's race. In Louisiana, it was between Edwin Edwards, who was a very controversial and very corrupt Democrat, and, of course, David Duke, who was running as the GOP nominee. Um, Edwards prevailed. And it was it's just I think, frankly, that's the last time, you know, that that race, the Louisiana governor's race was a national, you know, a real national story. Um, but as you, you know, you mentioned, there are several other factors here and. It could, it could provide for a very interesting result tomorrow. Um, unfortunately, you know, let's move to our last topic. And unfortunately, yesterday we had another school shooting. Um, this time, two people mm-hmm. dead, two students dead. Um, I think it's two or two to seven wounded, um, I believe. Um, yes. Including the shooter um, who tried to take his own life. Um, 45 caliber handgun. Don't really know. You know, I, I, you know, they keep saying trying to find out motivation, um, you know, with a 15 year old kid, um, whatever the motivation was, it probably wasn't well rooted and I wouldn't put too much credit into it at all. It just means that it's another one of these, um, things where someone thinks violence, uh, solves something, um, and killing people is a good thing, um, for a moment in time. Um, you know, uh, I, you know, I have no words anymore, and and I know every time one of these happens, we want to talk about it, um, and I think that's because I think we both know that there's got to be a political solution here, and um, I hope that it c- continues to be talked about, and we don't just have to keep saying, okay, we've gone now, how many has it been since there's been anything done adequately to address anything? Besides just saying, well, we're going to pray or we're going to hope or we're not going to listen or we're not going to do anything because we can't restrict people's rights. Um, I don't want to restrict anybody's rights either, but there's got to be something that in a political machination we can do something about because there's no other answer. I mean, we can talk about it just being community wise and we have a a public policy like, uh, you know, quitting smoking. Um, but again, they had a lot of energy from government. Um, governments jumped on the back of that, and it really goes far. There's got to be something. I don't care if it's policy, but there's got to be an agenda politically that helps us get there um, in our communities. And then, and, well, and, and, and that's about all yeah. I got. You know, I just don't have. You know, I have nothing else. No, I, I understand, John, and I. You know, I've been to Santa Clarita more than once. It's a very, you know, very pleasant, pretty community. Uh, you know, beautiful rolling hills part of, of Los Angeles County, uh, lots of well-to-do families, you know. And so, I, I mean, and it doesn't matter, you know, the neighborhood or the community or, you know, in terms of the, the wealth or whatever. The violence is still violence. And now two young people who had their whole lives ahead of them are gone. Uh, and, I, I, you know, my heart just breaks for their families and for the school I, I can't even imagine, um, just as I couldn't imagine, you know, the shooting in my hometown two years ago or or in Newtown or, you know, or in Ventura or in Gilroy, California or in Texas. Yeah, I, you the know, list goes yeah, on and I, on, doesn't it? That said, list just, just keeps continuing. Right. And, it, 
every weekend where you have, you know, in major, major cities where violence, sadly, is, is a way of life in some communities. It's, it's heartbreaking. You know, interestingly enough, yesterday morning, there was a bill that was in the U.S. Senate that would have expanded background checks on firearm purchases. By the way, that's an issue that gets vast support from all parts of the political spectrum, including NRA members. But Senator from Mississippi, Cindy Hyde-Smith, made an objection that effectively killed the measure. You know, bad choice of a word, but that's how it's described, you know, because her complaint was this will harm people who are law-abiding gun owners. And, you know, I should also mention this bill has already passed the House of Representatives, 240 to 190. Um, I'm sure had it gone through in the Senate, it probably would have been a very close party-line vote and might have failed. I, You know, I don't know. Um, you know, the Democrat from Connecticut, Chris Murphy, who's a very outspoken senator, we see him on the news a lot. You know, he called out Hydesmith saying you know, that she made an argument that was just a bad faith one. Um, so I bring all that up because, again, there was some intent or an attempt, I should say, to do something, you know, in, in terms of, of toughening up who can get a firearm. You know, if they have a background that where they clearly don't, you know, need it, uh, we're not talking about people who are law-abiding citizens who keep their guns properly stored and are very careful with them and just use them for target practice or to go hunting. Um, you know, we're talking about a teenager, this kid who I'm not even going to identify his name, who, you know, somehow got, as you said, a, an automatic weapon. And for reasons that nobody understands, went out and killed two people and shot a bunch of others. I, I, I just, you know, get we're going to have to have just different leadership in Congress. We're going to have to have a different person in the White House. Donald Trump doesn't give the first two craps about doing anything regarding sensible gun legislation. He's already backed off on any of that because, again, he's got to keep his base in line, and they don't, most of them, don't care about it either, I'm sorry to say. Um, so I, you know, we're, we're at a stalemate with that. And I, you know, what comfort is that to the parents of these young people who died yesterday? I, I, I just, uh, you know, there's no question there's public support here is strong for doing, you know, some sensible gun control laws. And, and again, they may not work in every state. We understand that. But as you said, you know, eventually something's got to give on this because there's no reason these kids should be dead. It just, it's so unjust. It just, you know, it makes you sick. With that, Karen, um, we're going to end for today and we will be back next week i hope and karen thanks again for joining me thanks for sharing everything with our listeners really appreciate talking to you as always well thank you thank you so much to our listeners i wish everyone a peaceful weekend we'll talk at you next time everybody thank you, thank you. bye-bye